Hey, Criterium Nation. Just a quick programming note before we start today's episode. This one was supposed to be the first episode in a season-long 30-episode documentary following the men and women of ButcherBox Cycling as they took on the best in the country in the USA Crit series. Steve Cullen and I came up with this documentary idea last December, and we had some really ambitious plans. I flew with a team to California in early March for its camp. We went through meetings, rides, a race, and tons of high-quality meat. We also recorded these interviews with the three founders, Steve, Dino, and Steven. While the coronavirus has laid claim to much of this season and to a lot of the content that we had planned, it hasn't changed the message of these interviews. So I'm presenting them to you here today. These interviews were recorded right off the beach, so the sounds you hear in the background are exactly what you would imagine in Southern California life. Just swap 2021 for 2020, and it's all up to date. I hope you enjoy. This is No Training Wheels, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. Pro crit squads are not created by chance, but rather are the end result of vision and conscious effort mixed with some luck and a ton of sweat and hard work. Creating a squad that excels and wins a championship raises all those underlying linchpins to at least a nine. And announcing that you're going to do it back to back and with both a men's and women's squad, well, now you're at an 11. Those who know Steve Cullen of ButcherBox Cycling know that he lives life at an 11. Those who followed him for any period of time see the outspoken nature, the strong opinions, and the drive to excel. That translates to his team as well. Men and women not afraid to go to the deepest part of their own personal wells to achieve success. What gets overlooked is the stuff behind the swagger and bravado. The planning the brainstorming, the storyboarding, and the hours and hours and hours of relentless work. It's way more than any one person can do. In fact, it's way more than any three people can do. Trust me, I saw just how much work Team Swanier Beth Everhart did during their team camp. Cullen isn't alone. It is because of and on account of the full cadre of leaders, including Dino Piscopanis and Steven Ramirez, that they are the 2019 men's USA Crits champs, and why adding a co-equal women's team was even possible. Today's episode, Even Cleaner, Faster, Better, is their full story. We tell it in three parts, with each player taking his own turn. We start with Steve Cullen, the idea man, who helps lay the groundwork for us. Oh, and two quick things, this is a perfectly clean interview. No F-bombs are dropped, but plenty of truth bombs were. And two, Steve talks with his hands and sometimes they hit the table where the microphone was standing. The 2019 men's USA Crits team champs. Yeah. What does that mean to you? We went for the team title because it proves 
that it's bigger than any one rider that might come or go. It also proves as an organization that you have the ability to logistically manage for an entire season. So there's a real true foundation. If you just win a single race or a single jersey, it's unpredictable what you're really getting. So going for a team jersey, uh, going for a team title is a really significant taking. It's much more complex than winning a single race or even taking a single jersey. The team title is really symbolic of what all of our sponsors and partners really are buying into, right? Plus, we're really trying to champion a lot of the team aspect of the sport, what the sport is at its absolute best, which is a tactical battle of both fitness and toughness and courage, but also how all the athletes work together and against each other and in that. And that's really where the sport's most exciting. So you're seven months past. It's mm -hmm. March now. You guys won the championship in August mm, in, yeah. in Westchester. Yeah. Are you done with it? Or is it still something that you sit and reflect upon every day? Or have you moved on? Have you moved on? It's, it was, that was pretty much over by the time we got to September 30th. It was like, it's kind of crazy like that. I think, you know, you, you have to force yourself to pause and think of, and reflect. Like there's the emotional moment of it, but as a director and, and for my role on the team, it's really important that I'm already looking ahead. And in so many ways, they call them results for a reason. They're a result of stuff happening that you've done beforehand. So by the time I was, you know, in September, I'm already in deep in 2020 negotiations. And by the time you're in October, all you're talking about is 2020. Yeah, I took a lot of time to to specifically, you know, I do a lot. Of, I do I do all the writing and social media for the teams, and so that's also personally for me. If anybody's you know following that stuff, they can see it almost acts as a personal journal of mine for that, where I get to reflect on a lot of the athletes and riders and achievements. So there's a cathartic moment where I summarize the performances from my point of view for all of our fans and for the athletes in a way to give that story and share that story out. That kind of puts closure to it. But by the time I was in November, it might as well have been a decade ago, you know. And then obviously American Crit 2, Simon's film just came out. And when I when I when I watched that, it was definitely like looking back on on just like a different lifetime. It seems like that was quite some time ago. 2020, you have a full women's squad. Absolutely. Yeah. Equally funded, equal everything. Yeah. Tell us why. There's a moral portion of that. I, th I think it's obvious that there's there's a renaissance, I would say a revolution globally on female empowerment and I think social awareness and social justice and gender equity, that there's a tidal wave of that commencing across the planet, right? Across the planet. And I think it's fairly tone deaf and I would say borderline evil to ignore that, right? And to to say that, how can we say that we're trying to represent the best of American cycling. How can we say that we're trying, trying, I'm not saying we do, but we're trying to do that and then ignore 50% of the population. It's just foolish. It was always my goal from the very beginning to have it all together. I, I, I don't think there's such thing as men's bike racing and women's bike racing. There's just bike racing. There's also extremely practical brand reasons for that. What we offer is cultural penetration and cultural engagement in a way that businesses can't do on their own. So when you have a fuller squad that participates in more races and takes up more of the time of those races, when our team shows up an event, we do two or three different social activities for that. So we'll go to Ronald McDonald house and the men to Ronald McDonald's house. The women will do the meet the pros ride. And then the next day they'll do two things. So you're getting four or five, six times the coverage, you know, at, for our partners and ways to engage with their audiences that they couldn't. That's why it's so important to have 
a big, broad base of athletes. So you can do all of this different stuff with it. Right. So, and when we race USA crits, when our team shows up, we're racing for three hours straight. The rosters that you've assembled, both the men's and the women's, are they approaching the season the same way? Way different. We say one team, two squads, right? So the way that we behave and the way that we operate and the philosophies of how we approach the the craft of crit racing, that is a team approach. As the director, I don't treat the teams differently. I still believe that we strategize races, we evaluate races, we have role-driven performance, we're accountable to each other, we're we, we do all those things, same, 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 right? Where it differentiates is just different groups of athletes. And in many ways, um, the two teams are very physiologically opposite. The way that they're going to succeed against their competition is almost polar, is almost polar in difference. And so there are fundamental skills. I think that one of the great things about criterium racing is that you can't just be a specialist. You have to be able to be at least decent at everything and excellent at a few things, but you can't just be one dimensional. Even the very top, top, top individual crit racers have to be able to do everything. So our teams work on all the fundamentals. We have to get strong and dialed and effective at multiple types of lead out scenarios, right? Many, many types of break scenarios. We have to know how to do that. We all have to positionally ride in different ways, right? So we have to be able to do all these fundamental things um, as a team, but some teams are going to, one of my squads might specialize more in one of those activities than another. So they're really different. And then they're going to develop, the women's program is going to develop a bit more of its own culture. The guys come in just at a different cultural level, right? They're extremely familiar with each other and their full intent is to pick up well beyond where they left off. And I think with our ladies, they come from a wide variety of different backgrounds, um, but they're all exceptional Uber talents, like off the charts, Uber talents. And so, you know, the great challenge on the women's program is how many times have you seen this in the premier league or an F1 or they buy all this talent and it implodes. Um, and so it's a really different job to try to get those things to coordinate around a unified goal. Um, but I think one of the easiest problems to solve in sports is spreading success around. I think the hard part is building success and a culture of success. This is a crit racing squad. Why? Crits are a uniquely spectator-friendly and fan-engaging experience from sports. And I think they're going to play a huge role in the future of bike racing. So you go into a downtown area, convert that downtown area into a block party, and then have a race that you get to watch the vast majority of it. Now, just like even live sports, it's going to need more and better media coverage around that, of which your podcast is part of that, right? You have to know more about the sport, know more about the athletes. And then when you're watching it, it has to compete with F1 or NFL or at that level where there's 10 or 12 cameras going on, there's onboard footage. So you can really get inside the race and understand the complexity of it because it's an exceptionally complex sport. But if football can grow to the level of fandom that it has American football, then you can handle bikes, right? That's an extremely intricate sport with a lot of rules, some of which don't make sense. Bikes make a lot more sense than football. So people can follow it. They just need the coverage to do that. So we're big believers in helping grow criterion racing because as a genre, you can race a lot of it in downtowns in front of people, and they're not radically time consuming to do that. So you can still engage with fans outside of the race as well. So it's an extremely intimate medium in which to engage with communities. Uh, and then also, yeah, I have a passion for it because in America, it's America's race form. And so as an American team, it's crazy to not support that and focus in on that. We're here in San Diego. 
We've brought in tons of people, tons of bikes, tons of equipment. <laughs> yeah. There's three butcher box boxes that will be in eaten fridge. in 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough pork chops to nap on. <laughs> this all costs real money because this yeah. goes from here to Birmingham to El Paso to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. Athens. And you have to use, I'm going to be careful about the word I use yeah, sure, here because sure. you don't have sponsors. You have partners. There's like two levels. I think I think as we're trying to like future-proof the organization, we're not the only teams trying to do this. But if you think about it, if you think about it as running a team, then you're kind of missing the point. You have to think about it like a small business and saying, okay, what business are you in? Are you in sports management? Are you in sports marketing? Are you in sports media? Like what, what is, what is the way in which you appoint that? But if you're thinking, if you want to do it as a team, that's cool. That's fine. It's just going to be very difficult for you to scale that in any way, which is totally great. You can have like a club bike riding team and that's great and have a blast. And there's no judgment on that. If you want to produce consistent high performance at the top level of the sport, it takes infrastructure to be able to manage that stuff, have the equipment, have the support, and then also to, to support and cater to and take care of the athletes that are at that level who need resources to live the lifestyle that lets them perform at their best, i.e. paychecks and stuff like that, right? So once you say, hey, I want high performance, that's one commitment. And then you're saying, I want long-term high performance because that's proven over and over and over again in business and innovation. The repetition of a core team building efficiency at a specific task is where greatness comes through. So you're looking for athletes to be with the program two, three, four, five years. That's where you're going to get the absolute best results. And that's true for bike racing as it is for a startup, as it is for a Formula One team. That is science. That is fact. There is no arguing that. Extremely difficult to produce repeat kick-ass performance when you're changing your roster radically. Minor amount of, of turnover is normal business, right? But a core team, especially in the proprietary, and especially in those important three to four years of launching is extremely core to a business, right? So we have to build our partnerships. Uh, we call them, we do have sponsors, but we have levels, right? We refer to them as partners or sponsors. Sponsors are people that we engage with on a formal level, but our reciprocity level is kind of more traditionally sponsored, that we benefit from some level of business business relationship with them for equipment or supplies or media support in some way. And then those guys get to participate in a very minor way with what the team is doing. And that is a very traditional sponsorship relationship, which is not bad. It's just not the whole thing. Then we have spot, then we have partner levels where we internally refer to them as clients. Externally, we say they're our partners because it's kind of bizarre to call them clients, but really we treat them like clients. And there's a deliverables list from both sides that go into that for each other. And that works just like a company does company, company stuff, right? Now they're participating and we're still selling ultimately the idea of sports marketing and what sports sponsorship and sports partnership and sports marketing does, which is community engagement. That's what it's all about, right? But to get longevity, we have to have much deeper relationships with our partners, which is very demanding on us, but also demanding on our partners. It's a lot. We put a lot in. And you can see with the partnership that we have with uh, ButcherBox, how deep and intense that is. We're producing, we do ride cookouts all summer long. Um, you know, we offer steaks for Slayers, which is a steak package 
page for under category athletes that are nominated for, and they get a subscription from the team to them as a gift to promote development and riding. And then obviously we do barbecues at meet the pros rides at major events. And we're currently designing, writing and authoring, uh, an all natural athletes cookbook this year as part of that. Plus things like film and content podcasts, things like that, that are important media outreach tools. And the vehicle of the narrative is sports, which is what an amazing stage to tell all these stories. So where do we go? What do we look at in September of 2020? Effectively, we're in year two of five years, is if we think about it. So the five-year vision is really based around all-natural sports and using all-natural fuel to power human performance, right, to its highest levels. Nothing is faster, stronger, or better than healthy. Healthy is it. And so there's a place and a time that is much smaller than we've been sold to believe that um, pills and powders and stuff are an answer, right? So I think the global mission of ButcherBox and ButcherBox Cycling, i.e. ButcherBox Sports, is to help bring all natural eating back into it and to own the training table for athletes everywhere. So the growth is bringing that message across more sports that are more receptive to it. So endurance, the endurance community is very queued up to that topic, right? Nutrition is a massive play in it. It's gone through some very dark periods. And I think there's a, there's an enlightenment, I'll call it. There's an enlightenment going on with endurance athletes. So we went with bikes because it's one of the most complex endurance sports we can possibly find. So if you can convince the cycling community to eat better, there's product development to come in on top of that, right? There's, we offer right now the athlete box. So you can eat just like our athletes. You can order their food. All of our athletes use it. Salmon, pork, all this stuff. They use all that stuff. They're taught to do all that. The cookbook is going to give that lesson. Then you can imagine all the other things from that, the jerkies that can come with that, all the other things, and all the way down to you can break those things down to collagens and so on and so forth. So there's a whole line of products that can be developed on this that are all natural foods. What does it mean for the program is just looking, turning the corner. I think crits are the foundation you can bet your bottom dollar we're currently looking at getting into adventure racing and anybody that's paying any attention to anything knows that adventure racing, that gravel is just a transition to adventure. So we definitely want to have a gravel, a gravel program and we want to have an adventure program for sure. Right around the corner from that is going to be running specifically also the ultra community with that. And then you have to look at other associated outdoor sports, which are more all naturally inclined. So mountaineering, climbing, surfing, uh, that type of stuff. Then we're also going to start looking at neglected athletes. So athletes that perform that way, but aren't getting the type of messaging that's essential to that. So formula one drivers, NASCAR drivers, motocross drivers, these are high performance athletes that aren't being spoken to that way. Uh, so they're also, they're also ready to hear these messages. They're a very optimizing group of human beings already because they deal in an optimization sport, especially drivers. So the idea of saying this is a way to optimize your performance is a great way to do that. You've got a brand new team. The women, in fact, some of them just met for the first time <laughs> yeah. yesterday. Yeah. How do you create kind of a winning community or a shared vocabulary among the women? I think the at the top level is that we don't wait for team camp to start that, right? So there's there's we start an onboarding process that starts in September. 
And we work through the principles of what the brand is all about, how the company operates, what everybody's role is. And then from that, we start our performance workshops in January, where we talk about the team's culture, the team's philosophy. We set expectations around how to communicate, how to come together, that, that we also set expectations and provide communications tools to allow people to speed that process up. Military has been doing it forever. You get new recruits and they got to come on board. Businesses do this all the time. Scaling is a well-known, is a well-known business skill, right? We just want a piece of business. We need to hire 20 people. How do they fit? The number one thing you have to have is a strong, clear, precise, written down culture with clear understandings of who you are, why you exist, how you function internally, and what your behavioral set is out into the world. And you need to be able to articulate that to new slash employees instantaneously. So first thing is have a vision, explain the vision, show how that vision works for them and empowers them to be better. And then you have to create the tools of communication and, and community that allows them to find their role within that and build their way forward. That is not new thinking. You just have to have a vision, communicate it and give people those tools. And then that's a significant portion of my role as, as the performance director, um, is less about telling these women and men how to race their bikes, but much more about giving them the tools to solve their own problems going forward. That's from what I grew up learning. That's just what they call leadership. We're about to start talking about high expectations and lofty achievements. So it's an ideal time to talk about fellow Wide Angle Podium show, The Slow Ride Podcast. They're about to cross their 300th episode this week. So a huge heartfelt congrats to them. They were the first podcast I subscribed to, ever. And I listened to them with religion. So here's a quick message from Tim, Little Guy, and Spencer for all of us. The Slow Ride Podcast, three idiots who are usually wrong. The Slow Ride Podcast, the titanium of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, it's like if David Vanderpool had a podcast. The Slow Ride Podcast, the Zwift racing of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, find the real advice. The Slow Ride Podcast, the arrow helmet of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, sport leader coming through. The Slow Ride Podcast, when's Lance gonna sue us? The Slow Ride Podcast, the experts in French cycling. The Slow Ride Podcast. Official Fan Experience Zone on Facebook. The Slow Ride Podcast, the gravel bike of podcasts. The Slow Ride Podcast, both vertically and horizontally compliant. The Slow Ride Podcast. New episodes every Tuesday. We've arrived at Chapter 2, The Money Man. A team needs money. Moving people, equipment, all of it around from crit to crit costs money. And Dino Piscopanis has made it his niche to be that guy. He works the finances side. He's developed strong relationships and partnerships with companies and organizations that share the vision of ButcherBox Cycling. But also, as the money man, he sets expectations, internally and externally. The Faster Days Racing Alliance, the umbrella organization within which the ButcherBox Cycling team exists. What is it? When Steve and I had connected, uh, he was headed out this way, out to the Northeast. And I was looking at potentially launching a chapter 
of a team that was rolling out here on the West Coast. And I thought, hey, you know what? This could be pretty cool. We could, we could launch a brand. We could launch a chapter they don't have out here out in the Northeast. When I reached out to them, they basically said, hey, you know what? We have two people coming your way that are going to be situated on the East Coast for a little while. Connect with them and see if you guys can launch a chapter. As we kind of all launched that, it was a very small group. It was about four of us, five of us at the time. You know, we started kind of picking up a group. It was got a little bit bigger. And then we started seeing a little bit of success and said, hey, you know what? Maybe there's something bigger we can do with this and kind of have an offshoot, kick up our own team with this. And the more I thought about it, I said, well, I'm not really interested in doing just another team. A lot of them out there and a lot of them are just not sustainable for a variety of reasons. I mean, real actual performance race teams, not necessarily a club that just has an open door. I wasn't just interested in doing a team that follows that same traditional model that has has to chase down dollars all the time to be able to do what it needs to do and be able to do what its athletes actually need it to do. I would be interested in it if we established a business or an organization that could sustain itself and own the team and use that team, leverage that team as a tool for clients it brings on board, not sponsors. It would be, you know, moving towards this agency relationship type scenario where it's a more of a symbiotic relationship with with customers, not sponsors, right? We obviously would still have and still do have you know, what we would call your traditional sponsor, but the, the the core of it would be more of a client type relationship where there is an understood level of deliverables, an understood level of, you know, this client relationship type scenario. So when we're knocking on the door for a lot of these companies, we want them to understand that it, you know, we want them to understand that. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a big piece. And that's what FRA structure is set up to be. It's set up to be a sports management and sports marketing company uh, and, and, you know, there's a pathway that we've talked about in terms of having different different avenues of growth in it. But what we're doing now is really the first steps in, in what we've talked about. And that is, can we stand up a team? Can we make it a high performing team and ensure that it is a sustainable team going forward? How do we do that? We do it with these deeper relationships and we do it by changing the existing models out there today and trying to see if it's going to work. Is it or not? We don't know, but we're going to try. When you look at the people who are at the table, the leadership table for Faster Days, yourself, Steve Cullen, Stephen Ramirez, you have three very different human beings as far as education and the approach that they take to being a leader. What do you view is your specific role within the organization? Some days I'm a mechanic. Some days I'm doing accounting and financing. You know, where I really focus on more because I know the team won't be able to sustain itself without it is ensuring that we have the right partners, the right relationships in place that we can actually start to build a significant revenue stream that makes the organization sustainable and in re- that revenue can be recurred into the teams, you know, and make it a sustainable scenario, not only for us, but also sustainable for our partners. Right? So when we knock on the door with those partners that we have relationship with, they know they're going to be, in a scenario that, uh, you know, it's going to make them profit. It's not necessarily going to be that existing scenario where, yeah, we're going to give them potentially a lot of money, a lot of product, and we're not going to see much out of it. We're not trying to go down that road. It is great that we have three different backgrounds. Uh, there's a lot of similarity in the backgrounds from, you know, all three have a very seasoned business background uh, and there's a good understanding there, but each one of us has a little bit more of a specialty in that world as well. 
So that works well together. Um, I will say, you know, everybody in this organization is completely accountable from our team being accountable to each other, to us, but nobody's more accountable for the team and the organization than myself, Steve and Steven. We don't let each other slide. I would, I wouldn't expect anything less. If I'm not doing something, I want somebody to tell me, right. So that we get it done and that we stick to the plan. And it's the same for our partners. When you talk about partners for Faster Days, you're talking about ButcherBox, you're talking about LEL, you're talking about these companies that some people might call them sponsors. But because of the view of the relationship that you guys have, they are clients, they are partners. What does that mean? You know, there's this relationship that we first off need to ensure is there, right? We need to ensure that they have, they are moving in a, in a similar kind of vision or thought or are interested in that similar vision or thought that we have in relation to how we would grow and how it would benefit them and how it would benefit us. If it's a one-way kind of benefit, it's something we move away from. We want it to be more of a shared vision, a deeper relationship uh, that could lead to a variety of scenarios, whether it's better product development for them, whether it's profit uh, from their end, if there's things that we can do from that that side of the world. And we've done that, right, for some of our, for some of our customers. You know, we have seasoned team, we have seasoned professionals on the team, seasoned business people running the organization. So there's a number of different avenues we can take with the right partner to help them. It's pretty simple to say a win for the team is a win. You know, first place at El Paso, USA Crits team champion. That's an easily understandable and definable win for a team. What's a win for the organization when it comes down to partners like ButcherBox or Monteki or LEL? I would say a win for us would be finding one of those partners uh, like, the, like the ones you described that are helping our organization in terms of us growing and helping our athletes drive what the overall goal is for the team in and around performance and nutrition. That was a key item. So when we sat down and you know thought about the ButcherBox sponsorship, Obviously, yes, that is a that is a a big focus for us. That is a big focus for them in terms of uh, you know food and nutrition, et cetera. And there's a good fit there. And we said, yes, there's there's a vision that will help us grow, help them grow in a market they're not in, or maybe areas they're not in. You know that that for us was a win win scenario. Multi year relationships where it's sustainable. You know, I think when you do it one year, you know, one year turnaround is really difficult to just look at it and say, oh yeah, here was the benefit. But over the past two, three, four years, you know, as we've kind of worked through talking through some of these relationships with, the, with, uh, with these um, partners, they're starting to see the benefit. They can clearly see that this is a longer term benefit for them and a, and a great benefit for us. So we're always reevaluating. We're always looking at, you know, how can we do, do something better for them? Is this, you know, in the state we're in, in the phase we're growing at now, is this, you know, a relationship we want to continue and they want to continue. So that is, you know, kind of a long-winded answer for what a win is, but a win is where we see a symbiotic relationship, right? There's benefit to us, uh, both of us. So 2020 sees the advent of a professional women's team, equally funded, equal position. As far as creating a brand for this women's organization, are we importing the model from the men or are the women creating their own unique version. Yeah. Well, look, at the end of the day, there is a, there is a centralized brand overall, but at the same time, we want the women's team to have its own identity and be, uh, you know, uh, developed within themselves, just like our men's team, right? 
yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a, a challenge to execute, you, you know, what we have planned. But, you know, that's the point, right, is is it's always a challenge. If it's not, then everybody can do it. What's the biggest challenge that you think that people don't know about? I mean, we all know it's hard to get on an airplane and move bikes and people from point A to point B. What's the other challenge? There's just a lot of them, right? I mean, if I had to pick one you know, specific item, I think it's hard to put my, my finger on. But I would say that you have to be fluid and you have to be able to evolve and adapt to you know, the situations that you're in. I think what defined our team, not only our riders, but our organization over the past few years is our ability to overcome things that we didn't think, you know, we didn't think of, right? Like these unpredictable type things that kept popping up. Everybody was committed. Nobody ever thought, I'm not doing this. You know, this is too hard or whatever it may be, right? We expect the same from our riders, but at the same time, the leadership team, I mean, there was just countless scenarios where things just kept popping up, whether it's uh, equipment related, whether it's uh, travel related, whether it's, uh, you know, funding related, just a variety of things. I mean, it, it's hard to say, you know, what what it could be on any given day, but ultimately we were all committed and we're all still committed to getting it done, no matter what, period. That That's just what it comes down to is if you have it and you want to go after it, you know, you just can't let things stop. You just have to stay focused and get it done. This show is brought to you by Works in its full lineup of tools and equipment, including the PowerShot, the world's best battery-powered power washer. It's not only perfect for cleaning your bike, car, or motorcycle, but also your garage door, your driveway, your front stoop, your neighbor's front stoop, your brick courtyard, everything you can see from your front door. Just ask my neighbors. And when you go to yourcleanbike.com, you can save 15% off the power shot and everything else with the promo code GEARUP. All caps, all one word. That's yourcleanbike.com and gear up for 15% off. Chapter three, the thinker. There's gotta be one in every group, the one for whom the big picture is clearly visible. Enter Steven Ramirez, the guy who lives the big picture, who thinks about how it all flows together and who makes the tough calls, which sometimes includes saying no. I'm the type of person that does always reflect and really appreciate the, the successes that, you know, you, you have to take stock of your wins when you have them. They don't come often. And if they mean anything at all, they take a long time to really achieve. And I understand the year, every year you should be moving forward. But a successful year doesn't always mean standing on the, t- on the top step. Two years ago, we were not on the, so- on the top step. And that was an extremely successful year as well. Progress isn't always linear upwards and to the right. But can 2020 be a successful season if you're not on the top step? I think right now we, and I personally, I'm like trying to to identify exactly the type of victories that I seek to have this year. And I'd be lying if I said getting on the top step isn't one of them. I want to win several individual events on the men's side and on the women's side. I want to win the league, the, the, 
50 criterium, the U.S. Crits League again. And we want to be the first team to do it in both men's and women's. But more than that, I am a person that values the process of doing the work, not just the end result. The victory at the end is just icing on the top. You know, I want this year for all of us, everyone involved, to be such a positive experience, right? I want everyone to look back and say, like, man, we won that year. But more important than that victory was perhaps the friendships, the effort, the determination, the work that I put into it. Like, I really want people to feel passionate about that and say, like, that the end result was a reflection of the quality of the experience. I feel confident in saying that one of the main things that people can not really imagine is the level of resources, the level of of thought, planning, preparedness that goes into having a positive season, having a successful year. There's so many things that can trip you up, whether it's damaged piece of equipment, a crash that results in injury, a coronavirus that starts ruining your travel plans and and perhaps changing the the outlook of the season. You know, it's, these are these are real things, I mean, and some of these things you can prepare for, you can have contingency plans for. And others of them, you're just like, all right, I'll just deal with it when it comes my way. Although USA Crits is 10 races, you know, it's like 10 races. So it's like, all right, that's, you want to be a bike racer? You should race 50 times a year. It's like, but these races, these aren't your run-of-the-mill run local crits in a corporate park. These are the types of events where the top 1% of racers in this country show up. I actually say this to many people. I say, you know, it's like, it's fantastic. You're Cat 1. That's great. You're top 5% in this country. Good job. Amazing. That's a really that's 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 a really fantastic achievement that you've reached. But when you show up to one of these USA crit races, you're racing the top one percent. And not only that, you're racing the point oh one percent. These people are killers. Why was it important for you and your partners to bring this women's squad into fruition? We always set out to create a racing team. I've always wanted to attract people who want to race, who are competitive and who who really are passionate about that, you know, not only in, in, in this life, you know, I, in my other life, in my, in my quote unquote real life where I, I'm a working professional and I have a day job, I live equity, right? That's my job, right? I work for kids. I work for children. I work to try to bring an equitable experience. And like, to me, that is me, you know? And so part of the reason that I am here is because people have fought for opportunities for me. And I really felt that it's, it was, it's our, our responsibility. We have had tremendous support from our partners because they've believed in us. They've given us an opportunity to make more opportunities for other people. So why wouldn't it make sense to continue to expand these opportunities these, and give these women the platform that they really deserve? When I go to the races and I see, see the quality of people who have to dedicate their entire lives, I am truly impressed by how hard it is that these racers are committed to it because I think more than others, they have invisible challenges and reasons that they shouldn't be there. And yet they keep on showing up where we hear issues that with promoters and race specific races here and there. And it feels like a sport that doesn't care about them. And to be honest, it's like I wanted to take my platform and kind of take, take it in that direction and say like, actually there is a path forward. The, amount of money that goes into operating an organization like this is tremendous. The logistics of getting from point A to point B are impressive. The partners that you guys have in ButcherBox and LEL, why are these companies so important to you that they're not just sponsors, they're clients? 
their partners. I think it's because a lot of these companies and the and the founders, you know, Mike Salguero at ButcherBox, Henry at Montecchi, Ryan at Allele, all the people that we have worked with in the past, you know, they I've learned from them and I lean on them for advice and, and support because I'm trying to understand how to stand up an organization so that it is it is operating at a high level and doing it thoughtfully over like the resources that we have that we are spending resources wisely and to be honest like these these people have been successful in their own right because they know at some point in their own journeys they've identified the thing that makes a difference in their own company and for for us in our bike team in our journey we've learned is that getting to these events with sufficient time to feel like you've prepared well that you have rested that the riders everything is is in good working order and that you feel comfortable that right there is part of the unseen battle that a lot of other people can really understand when you look at the world tour and like and you look at formula one you know and you think about all the logistics and 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 the movement that happens to moving pieces you're like oh yeah that dude the guy in the back that like off camera that is making it all happen he's the reason like or she is the reason that some of this stuff is working, you know, and that's. What is the hardest thing that you have to do that nobody knows about? I say no a lot. I want to get what's best and I want to do what's best. And you know what? That involves saying no a lot. And, and that kind of sucks. You know, it does. I want to say yes to everything. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it's just not real. Everything is already spent in my brain, in our plans. In our planning, we've already, we already know what's allocated and things. And it's like, new projects or new ideas or this or that or you know at this level like the scale is quite impressive right and so small decisions like they're not so small anymore and they start to take up significant percentages of your planning and of your budget and so that's one of the things i find hardest Thanks for joining us on another episode of No Training Wheels. We're a proud member of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, the world's only collection of top-tier independent cycling content. For more information and links to the other incredible shows on the network, go to wideanglepodium.com. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Rob Kelly. For more content, follow us on Instagram at No Training Wheels Pod. And your home for the best in American criterium racing is notrainingwheelspod.com. Join us here next time for more from our Criterium Nation.